You're listening to Leadership Game Changers, conversations with heart and humor. How many of you have had teachers who have truly changed the way you think about a subject or how you think about life? I know I can count mine on one hand. My guest today is one of those teachers. Her name is Samantha Chesler. And in this interview, we're going to be talking about coaching in education and what it means to use a coach approach with students, what it means to bring coaching into an entire school culture. You're going to get lots of practical tips on how to apply the coach approach in the classroom, but also there are a lot of universal things that we share that can be applied at home between parent and child or colleagues at work. Samantha studied law and art history. She's a certified coach and she's worked in education for years as head of department, teacher, mentor in many international schools. She's trained in emotion coaching and in positive intelligence. She's also an artist. She's an amazing photographer and an award-winning blogger. One of the things that I love about her is her drive, her beautiful commitment to students to having students feel like human beings and not human doings. She's incredibly inspiring. Let's go meet Samantha. Okay, so Samantha, first of all, thank you so much for being with me today for this. My pleasure. And I want to start with the question of just, what do you want people, listeners, to know about you that I didn't say already in your introduction? I am in an interesting place in my life right now. I'm about to leave teaching and um, it's a transition and I'm going to be moving into coaching full time, but I'm going to be still very interested and involved in education because it really matters to me. Um, so it's a time in my life when I'm making space for other things and discovering my own freedom. Both my daughters are, are grown up and they have they're independent and I feel like it's a time for me to really synthesize what's really important to me and things are becoming very clear and I'm looking forward to making the space for that mm. it sounds like a very exciting moment in your life it and is it's scary but it's exciting yeah so you you're talking about your focus on your on education and that's the topic one of the main topics of this conversation, of this interview is coaching in education. So tell me a little bit about what you, what, what you feel passionate about when it comes to coaching in education. So I've been a teacher for over 16 years and I've been a coach for just over two years and it has changed the way that I teach and it's changed the way I see schools, but it's also made clear for me that now I know what, was, what wasn't what was sitting well for some time. Um, I, I'm frus increasingly frustrated by the fact that schools are starting to feel like factories. They're very institutionalized. We process students, we bring them in, we teach them, and then we spit them out the other end. I know that comes across as quite harsh because schools are also wonderful hives of discovery. And I've worked with the most wonderful teachers and all teachers care deeply, deeply about their students. But we're also in a system 
that is so concerned with results and so concerned with getting students to climb up that ladder and achieve something that I think that we're also forgetting about the individual and about the culture of a school. Um, and I think that it is an incredible culture, a school. A school is like, um, you know, it's, it's a community. So since I have, you know, coaching has become such a focus of my life, I'm really starting to notice the ways that coaching and the coaching approach could really impact students, staff, leaders in schools, and make it a more sort of individually focused, holistic place to work and study. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Filling up the gaps so that we're concerned with well-being as much as we're concerned with outcomes and results. Yeah, let's dive into that well-being and how coaching could impact a school culture. What are some possibilities there? I think that, um, you know, we've, we've taught students to ignore their emotions and just get on with it for a very long time to be practical. Um, but we're also teaching them to be critical thinkers. And then you look at children who are very small and they always ask why. And then when we get to older students, we still let them ask why, but only to a certain extent. And I think that there can be more of that discovery. That's one part of it. The other part of it is, I think that schools are places where we're not just getting students through the gate to the next place, but we're also teaching them skills about how to be really good humans. And I've never seen it more important than right now. We have a mental health crisis amongst young people. Young people are stressed. Young people are distracted. Young people are perfectionist. Young people compare themselves to other people. Um, social media has amplified that. So I, I, it's a hard thing because I, I, I'm not expecting us to change a whole system. I just think small things can be done that will enable students to feel seen, heard, noticed, and loved. Mm -hmm. um, I love that you use that word because it, it's it's unusual, right? I think that we can start using that word more often, both in 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 company cultures and in school cultures, because it's true. Everyone's needing and looking for, for love. And it, it, things would go much better if we could talk about it and be real and authentic about it. So how does love play into the coach approach? Well, when you are coaching a person, you see them as naturally creative, resourceful and whole. You see that person in front of you and you actually love them. Marsha Reynolds, who's a great coaching teacher, said that on one of her first ever days going out to coach, her teacher said, just go out and coach. And she said, but I don't know how. And he said, just love them. And the best teachers are the ones that love their students first and love their subject second. And I think that maybe it sounds a little bit too kind of hippie-ish or something to bring the word love back into schools, but all the feedback that I get from my students about why they love my classes is because I make them feel loved. I celebrate the achievements. We make a big deal about birthdays. I always make people feel like they are important. 
and I will notice the smallest things about them and celebrate. And in fact, to be completely honest, there are students I struggle with because they're apathetic, because they're not engaged, because it's clear that they don't want to be there. Those are the students I work the hardest at to show them that I love them. So I might tease them and say, oh, I can't wait till our masks come off so I can see your cheeky smile or something <laughs> like that. So that, yeah. you know, they know that I'm really looking forward to seeing them smile, even if that student happens to be someone that's, you know, been a bit of a thorn in my side. Yeah. Um, and, and I am not speaking from a point of view that I am the best at this at all. I, I know people who are fabulous teachers and I've learned so much from them. It's not just student to teacher though, we have to bring this into the whole culture of the school. So for example, a very specific thing that I think we need to do is focus on strengths. Coaching comes from an abundance mindset, this idea that we already see that the person in front of us has all the tools that they could possibly need within them. And through coaching, we try and bring those out. But sometimes in schools, we go from scarcity mindset. You know, you know, students are not good enough. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have the grade yet. And we need to fill them up. Whereas if we take the coaching mindset, whether it's with students, staff, parents, parents to, to children, we're already seeing them as entirely whole, thriving individuals. Once you start to see people like that, you will speak to them differently. You will trust so, yeah, what, what advice would you have for teachers, parents, even leaders and organizations um, to step into this mindset? How, you know, what are the first steps to get into a mindset? Because it really is a big shift to start seeing and perceiving people this way. It is a big shift because we're no longer looking only at the bottom line. We're not only looking at the, the grade or the dollar sign or the discipline. So how do we start seeing people from the point of view of strength, from the point of view of what they're able to achieve? So for example, um, sometimes in feedback with a student, instead of focusing on this is an area where you're really you know, not doing very well, what can we do to fix this? I will actually say to them, tell me about something that you're doing outside of school that you absolutely love. What are you great at? And then they'll start talking about basketball. And we'll talk about that for a few minutes. And I'm like, how could you take that person who plays basketball, some of those skills, and put them into this area where you're not doing as well? How would that look? Now I've made them already think about something they're really good at. And I've started from a point of view of abundance rather than a point of view of scarcity. Right. So if you... Yeah, I was just going to say, so just to underline the point you're making in terms of my question is, one of the ways is to get to know more about what this person loves or what they're passionate about. And then suddenly you see them in a different light and you can also use that to, to motivate them. You have to operate from a point of view of curiosity. So if it was um, a middle leader speaking to somebody um, in their team, you could start off by saying, what's going really well right now? And then you could ask, what's a barrier to your success? And then the third question would be, how can I help you? Now, those three questions 
are going to have a huge impact on the person you're talking to. They're going to see, okay, this person is here to help me and support me rather than I'm here to be disciplined. I'm here to, to, to sort of follow along with the, the checks and balances of what I've done. Um, and then I'm going to have to prove myself to people. Why don't we start off with already assuming that the person is doing a great job, ask them what's going well, and then say, what are the barriers? Right. You know, what I'm hearing is psychological safety and trust. Yeah. The approach in the conversation, helping the person stay open and connected to you rather than feeling like they have to defend something or prove something. That's a Absolutely. People will put down their armor, right? When they feel like they're in a place of psychological safety. And a lot of the teenagers that I've taught in my, in my career have said that they have a really hard time talking to their parents. And I said, why is that? And they say, well, because they're just already assuming that I'm not working hard enough or that I'm being really lazy or, and I said, so, and so I'll say, well, what, how does the conversation go? And then I think to myself that if the parent didn't assume that the child was lazy, but actually said, tell me about what you're studying in physics. How's it going? What are you reading in English? And opened with curiosity, then you'd have a dialogue. Right, right. Again, it's the abundance mindset that the parents and the and the Pygmalion effect, right? If you treat your child like they're lazy, very often they then see themselves as lazy and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, what I think another go ahead. Sorry, carry on. I was gonna say, what other tips do you have for parents to step into this different way of interacting and communicating with their younger children, their teenagers? Or even like you and I, you know, you and I have young adult children. What is you know, it's funny. I was, talking, I was just talking to my daughter about this today because we were reflecting about um, how people are always on their phones. Yeah. And I said, how did we get you to not be on your phones all the time? And she said, you never told us to get off our phones. Mm-hmm. I said, really? And she said, yeah, you just sort of, it was just made really clear that we don't have phones on at the meal table. We don't have phones when we're eating. And we don't have phones when we're talking and we don't have phones when we're watching TV because we don't do two things at once. We always used to have a joke saying one screen at a time. So it wasn't like it was forbidden, but there were times in our life when we would just show that we were going to be polite and have good manners and talk to each other and pay attention rather than being on our phone. And so they never felt like that something was forbidden or that I was berating them for it. So that's a small example of how I sort of would bring them into the negotiation rather than saying phones are bad, you can't do this, social media is destructive. I, I, I don't believe that we can ban things. We have to talk about things. And I would often ask them out of curiosity, you know, tell me about your social media use. Tell me what's what, what's inside that device that's so interesting. Talk, show me. That's a brilliant question. Yeah. That's great. What's That's TikTok? Great. Please explain TikTok to me, you know? Yeah, yeah, Show me great. a TikTok so I understand. Right. Instead of getting angry, actually getting to know what, because we are of a different generation. I mean, of course, not all parents, but the older parents just don't get how uh, engaging those devices are or those, those, those applications. And getting to know what it is that's so interesting or so stimulating is a way of sort of sitting or standing next to your child rather than this antagonistic perspective, right? Of just put it away and that's rude. Um, what, I know what's, what, what's worked for you with your- yeah, I was just gonna say, my, my daughter is a, is a dancer and she's constantly filming herself 
And, um, and I love that she gets excited about sharing it with me. You know, it, it's, she'll come home and say, mom, let me show you what I just posted on Instagram. And the fact that I don't say, well, no, I'm busy right now. I put my stuff down and say, yes, <laughs> let's see it. I want to see it. You know, I, I get excited and celebrate those things with her. So that channel of communication stays open because I think it only takes one or two times to say, I'm not interested in that right now. Or, um, you know, show me later for those invitations to stop. Right. Well, you and, just said it beautifully. It's the channel of communication. And that is essential whether it's with young people or whether it's in an office or whether it's with staff in a school that channel of communication will very quickly be stopped if somebody feels that they are not being trusted and not being heard or seen yeah I say that a lot of times in my trainings that if you're talking to someone and truly connecting the moment you look at your phone or your watch it it changes the the connection and the trust it, it just takes a moment for me to look at my phone and give you the message that you're not, you're not the most important thing right now. It's just a second, right? And, and I think that sometimes people will uh, change the way they communicate with you from that moment on. So it, it can really do a lot of damage when you, when you don't give somebody your full attention because the message behind that is you're not important or you're not as important as whatever's inside my phone, right? And it takes some self-discipline because I think we've all, especially young people, it's like the Pavlov response, the moment the phone dings or lights up, our attention goes there. And we have to practice self-management of keeping our- I did a survey in a class once and asked how many of the people in the class eat dinner with their family every single night. And it was a minority. The majority of people in my class took a meal and ate it by themselves in front of the TV or their phone. Wow. And that was sad. Oh, that's very sad. Families yeah. that eat together, you know, the origin of the word community comes from breaking bread together. So the sitting down without devices, listening, talking, you know, you could play, um, you could play games at the table, like, you know, mad, sad, glad. Mm -hmm. What was something that made you mad today? What was something that made you glad? You know, kids will often shut up if you say, what did you do at school or what did you learn today? But if you ask them, what made you laugh today? Or what's something silly you saw today? Yeah, right. You're generating conversation. Uh, you're creating connection and conversation where there, there wouldn't be because very often you might kids might be silent at the, at the table or like you said if you ask how was your day most of the time the answer is going to be fine I don't I don't know or good you know something yeah. generic like that I don't know if I told you Samantha that that the my, my kids entire um, life when we sat together at the table we played a game that was called the best and the worst and uh, every single evening we shared what was the best moment of the day, what was the worst moment of the day. And several things happened. I mean, first of all, it wasn't always perfect. And I always, I very often felt like I had to be sort of a referee and a mediator to get, you know, the two that were not speaking to listen to the one whose turn it was to share, right? Mm -hmm. So it took a lot of work, but we never gave up on it. And even when I was traveling, they would put back when we were using Skype, they would put the computer on the table and I would still join them 
for a meal. And where that came from was back when I was researching coaching and education, and, and especially for parents, I came across a study about kids, I may have already told you this, where they followed um, children to young adults looking for the recipe for what makes for responsible, healthy, you know, successful, happy adult, seeing what, you know, what were the patterns and, and they found nothing. They could not find anything except this one really surprising thing. And that was that these kids, whether they were from, you know, humble backgrounds, wherever they were from in the country, there was one thing in common for kids who became successful adults. And that was that they had at least one meal a day with, with their family. And this became, I read this thing, it gives me you know, goosebumps. I read this when my kids were quite young and it became sacred to sit down at the table at this little round table we have with no devices, with no television on and play the, what was the best, what was the worst moment of the day. I love that word sacred and you know, what I noticed when I first arrived um, in my most recent school that I was teaching in lunch times, people would just eat in front of their screens. And slowly we started developing a practice where we would shut the lid, turn our chairs around, and we would eat with each other. And the bonds grew so much stronger. You know, like not having phones allowed during school lunch times is really important so the students talk to each other and staff rooms are really important so that staff can come together and spend time together another thing that I do that that I love is I'm almost never at my desk when my class starts I stand at the door and I greet my students by name so before they even walk into the room I've already seen them said hi to them how's your day going um, and then I try and do the same thing when they leave. Although often I'll be stopped, you know, I'm stopped and dealing with a one-on-one -on -one issue or something like that. Um, it's but just- that's a great point, Samantha, because it, it's right. It's the little things and they're so important. Yeah. And you could also apply that to when your child comes home from school, that you let go of what you're doing and you, you greet them and you talk to them when they walk in the door or at a meeting, you know, a, a, a leader in a meeting in an organization before starting a meeting, making eye contact with people and talking with them for at least five or 10 minutes before the meeting starts. And it, it keeps the, the human being connection alive as opposed to falling too, too quickly into the role to role, student teacher or you know, boss employee, or even parent child, which, which can be all about go make your bed, clean your room, do your homework, as opposed to, hey, how was your day? And really, yeah. how was your day, right? Not how was, oh, I'm fine, my, you know, because yeah. again, that's just sort of- no, I, I don't ask students, how was your weekend? I ask students, what did you eat this weekend? Or did you see a movie this weekend? Yeah. Or did you hang out with friends? Or where was the best bubble tea this weekend? Because if you ask a specific question, you're more likely to get an answer. Such a good and, yeah. and I also I also think that there's there's an epidemic of loneliness in the world right now. And I think a lot of people- are quiet quitting to use a popular recent term because they don't feel like giving a hundred percent. They don't feel like being engaged in their workplace because they're like, well, who cares anyway? I just come in and I, I do my job and I leave and I'm just going to do the minimum. If people felt that they were invested in, that people were curious in them, that there was a relationship, not necessarily best friends, but colleagues looking out for each other, celebrating things together speaking to each other by looking into the eye and asking genuine questions. 
I think that engagement and lonely engagement would go up, loneliness would go down. And it's the same thing with students. I look sometimes at students and I think this might be the only adult in the whole day who looks at you in the eye and asks how you really are. And really cares and genuinely wants to know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's that's something that uh, is, is worth focusing on. How does coaching help us be more authentic, more genuine, more real with each other? How would you answer that? I've been thinking a lot about this brain, heart, gut connection. And I think that we go through life really thinking with our heads. What I've learned from coaching and from coach training is that we really have to engage our whole nervous system. You have to have an open heart. You have to actually listen to your gut, listen to your instinct. You will know if something's off. And if your heart is open, you'll be curious. And you will feel something in your body long before you know it in your head. And I think we need to be tuned into people in that way. So when I'm coaching, I am, I, I try and keep my posture really straight so that my nervous system is aligned, that I'm listening with my body and not just with my head, that my curiosity comes from my heart. And I've started taking that into the classroom. So, for example, I might ask a question, but I'm not going to ask a yes and no question. I have this thing I call, and you can use this um, in a staff meeting as well as with, um, with parents with children. It's the peeling the onion. So I'll ask a question, somebody will answer it. And then I'll say, can you please, I'll turn to the next person and say, can you peel the onion and give me another layer? What would you like to add to that? And then can you also add to that? And next thing you know, everybody, not everyone maybe in the class, but everybody who wants to yeah. has now contributed and peeled that onion back so that everyone feels that they've had a say rather than I'm going to ask a question. It's yes, no, correct. Move on to something else. So it's this that comes as well from this question, the questioning that comes in coaching is you, you ask a question and then you build on that question and then you ask another question. We want to go deep rather than just laterally covering information. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking about how I got trained in, in applied improv and leadership. And one of the most important tools was yes and. It, when improv, improvisers are on a stage, right? The, the rule is you have to say yes to everything and then add to it. And creating that in a classroom, creating a rule that we don't do yes but, that, that, that it's about you know, basically addition and multiplic multiplication, right? How do we help each other be more creative and positive by yes-anding everything? And it's not that there's, there's never a wrong answer, but how do you accept something in the moment and create from it rather than, because people get shut down. And especially I think in, in classrooms, it's so easy to raise your hand and give an idea and have someone say, well, that's lame or that'll never work. And that person may not, may not talk again for months. And the same thing happens in a business meeting. So how you, you know, as a leader, as a teacher, how do you create a yes and culture where we're listening to each other and building off and learning from as opposed to shutting each other down? I think it's, I, I think the big problem here comes with the fact that schools are incredibly busy places. Yeah. Um, and homes can be, you know, if you've got two parents working and you've got someone who's coming in and it's dinner and then it's homework, we're all so busy. Yeah. So 
my recent discovery is that we have to stop before we start. We have to take a breath. We have to pause. And anybody who thinks of the coach approach in education, we don't have time for that. We've got too much to get through. We've got a whole career curriculum. Have you seen that the exams are coming up in a month? I'm not suggesting anything that takes very long. I'm suggesting greeting students at the door. I'm suggesting asking open-ended questions. I'm suggesting don't jump in, but keep a silence that is alive. Don't fill up that silence, but let the students or let your children or let your team feel psychologically safe to contribute something. These yeah. things are very, very, very not time consuming. It can be a five minute thing here or there. You know, some people believe that John Dewey actually invented coaching. John Dewey was an, a philosopher and an education, like educational um, thinker and writer at the turn of the century. And he said, we don't learn from experience. We learn from thinking about our experience. Right. How do I know what I know? Mm. Um, I have two big words up in my classroom. One is why and one is yet. Yet, explain yet. So whenever I give feedback or I know that people are going to only look at the number on the, on the, on the feedback sheet. They're only interested in the grade. Um, and so I'm like, well, this doesn't say who you are. This says that you don't know it yet. Mm. Yet is the essence of growth mindset. So where do we want to go? What do we want to learn? You haven't got there yet. That's fantastic. So, so it's, it's really so simple. Yeah, a, a feeling of potential uh, in the but room. But this cannot be something that one teacher does. This actually has to be something that I believe should be all around the school. It has to be a whole school initiative. We have to have posters. The report cards that get sent home to parents should have something on them about how to talk to your students about their your children about your grades. Mm. If we have a yet culture, then we're already having conversations about, okay, that's how you are right now. What, what would you like to achieve? Because I can see you're not there yet. How can I help you get where you want to be rather than feeling like you're just a loser because you didn't achieve it? You know, it's, it's this sense of we're all on a journey. That's something I think is really important, but it has to infiltrate a culture. Right, because now we're talking about parents at home. Because it's one thing, right? You can get coaches to work with staff and teachers and administration and even students, but to reach the parents of those students is a little more challenging. Um, so what would it look like to you to have like a kind of whole school approach? What, what, are the, what, what would be the starting places if you were gonna tackle an entire school? Like if I said tomorrow, Samantha, We've got the go ahead for this whole school and, and you're going to run this project. Where would you start? That would be such an exciting and terrifying prospect. <laughs> um, recently, I've actually asked um, some people this question. So I, I just want to start off by saying some of the answers that I've got. Okay, so one said, um, we need more balance in the curriculum. You know, we have to make sure that students are taking an art whether it's dance, drama, music, um, theater, that they should, it sh they should have to take an art. It, it's not something that should be optional. It has to be built into the curriculum because 
students have to be creative and children are, but then they get to a certain age and we're like, oh, you don't need to do that anymore. Now it's just about, you know, your STEM subjects and it's just, a, and, and, and that's essential. The second thing I think is really important is that we take PE out when students turn 16 in a lot of international schools. There should be an hour of PE every day. Sorry, every week. There should be an hour of PE. And it doesn't have to be a PE lesson. You're going to choose between basketball, swimming, running. You could go to the gym and do weight training. You have to exercise and you have to do something creative. Right. Um, and the IB has a CAS system which tries to in, in, in embed that. Yeah. Yeah. I had two, two of my kids go through um, IB. Uh, just a, a comment on this because, you know, research has shown that creativity is so important for the future because technology, everything is changing so quickly that one of the most important skills they're looking for now in, in organizations is somebody who's innovative and, and, and who's creative. Um, it's not enough to just, you know, be good at math or physics or, or no. even, you know, subjects related to computers and IT. And, and creativity isn't being developed. And the second thing is there's lots of, I mean, not like it should be, right? And then there's lots of research about the importance, especially because of what we've been through in the last few years. Like you said, we're in a crisis, a mental health crisis, the impact of sports and, and, and taking care of our health and our mental and emotional well-being. And now there's plenty of research saying that, you know, there's, there's it's, it may be the, the most important factor in terms of improving emotional and physical well-being is physical exercise one of them you know a lot of parents they don't they don't want to get their kids out of the house because that and i'm not saying this is this is this is a generalization but i think that it's really hard to tell a 16 or 17 year old to leave your room and go out of the house and get some exercise and a lot of people are scared of their children no longer communicating with them or not liking them but this has to be a non-negotiable. You've got to get out. I, I've had students who tell me they didn't leave the house all weekend. They stayed in their rooms in front of a screen all weekend. So there has to be some amount of fresh air or, or, or moving your body. There has to be something. And the creativity, you know, if they don't take a creative subject, there are ways of embedding creativity into a class. Um, I, for example, use journal writing. I'll put a, a prompt on the board and I'll say, right, you've got 10 minutes. I'm never going to read this, by the way. Not everything is assessed. I want you to just write, just for the joy of it. Um, another thing that people have told me that they would definitely bring into schools is time. And by time, I'm not talking about, you know, we cannot, we only have 24 hours a day. We spend about eight hours of those um, functional people in schools or businesses. But this is time well spent so that we, have moments where we rest and pause. I have a friend who told me that her daughter did um, a semester abroad in Taiwan. And after lunch in Taiwan, every put, everyone puts their heads down onto their head. They put their heads on their arm for 10 minutes after lunch. Everybody does that. Um, I think that we sometimes don't realize because we're not seeing it from a student's point of view that when they come into a lesson, they need time to transition. They need three or four minutes, have some music playing, mm -hmm. create the time where you can just let everybody just pause, breathe, collect yourself, and then carry on with the lesson. It's the same thing when students come home from, from school or when staff members walk into 
a meeting, there has to be time built into that pause, reflect and transition. And the other thing that's really important is we need to have inbuilt reflections. And I don't just mean long, arduous, reflective sheets. The kind of reflections I'm talking about, I will only ask one question. What do you know now that you didn't know before? This is such a huge question because then students actually have to start asking themselves, well, what do I actually know now that I didn't know before? It might be something small, but they can start registering the progress they're making. Again, it goes to that abundant mindset. So these are things that we need to change in schools. The other thing is we need to have pictures and posters everywhere encouraging acts of kindness. I worked in a school in the Middle East a while ago, and students would stand up from the cafeteria and they would leave. And it was a mess. They would just leave all the staff who were working in the kitchen and the cafeteria to clean up after themselves. And when I was on duty, I would be, mm -mm. <laughs> you're going to clean up everything yourself. That's an act of responsible citizenship. That's an act of kindness. You don't do things. You don't treat people that way. You know, yes. greet, the, the, greet the security officers, say hello, be kind. But this is something that needs to be everywhere. Right. Yeah. So, so Samantha, what is your, like your biggest dream? You know, if we look at kind of like further down the road, long, long term, what's your big dream with coaching and education? I think that, um, well, I think it would be great to have student coaches. And I think it would be really, really great to have students trained to be coaches for younger students. So I think that we should actually teach coaching skills to students so that they can mentor younger students and each other. I think it has to be threaded throughout the whole culture of a school. So for example, a conversation using the GROW method, you know, where that's not something that can just happen once in a school. It has to be like every every meeting, every conversation has to be, you know, what what are the goals that we're setting? Where are we now? Um, you know, what's what are the options? Um, what are our choices here? What's our way forward? Um, and that language has to come across in 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 the letters home to the parents, in the posters, in the in classrooms on on the wall. You know, I just, my, that is my hope that coaching is not just like you go in and you just coach someone, but that it becomes embedded into the culture of a school through multiple different avenues. That's, That's a long-winded answer because it's a really hard thing. To, it's a hard thing to implement, but it's also not a hard thing to implement if you go in with the intention to do it. Right. Well, it's like you said before, you know, it's, it's, it's small things that accumulate, you know, it's, it's a, it's a workshop for the students and, and, and how to ask questions and listen to each other. And how could they, how could there be a peer coaching uh, process? It's talking to, or, or having a workshop and training staff in collaborative conversations and empathy and even, you know, feedback, respectful and, and feedback well done. So it's, it's like bits and pieces things mm -hmm. different tools and approaches 
that slowly could shift the way people are communicating and, and working with each other, covering, right? All of all, staff, teachers, students, and parents. Emotional literacy has to be taught. You know, we have to teach people to be able to name their emotions. Um, you know, if you start brainstorming, it gets very, very exciting because you're preparing students to be able to leave and, and go to university so that they can then stand up, have conversations with people. It goes to the heart of consent, being able to speak your mind, knowing, you know, it also goes to the heart of self-awareness. I think we need to teach people to learn who they are. I recently did a values workshop with the senior student council and um, afterwards they said, I never knew that these were my values. And I said, that's great. What do you want to do with it now? One of them said to me, I don't think I want to do what I thought I was going to do anymore. Someone else said to me, do you think our values change? Like all these questions were coming up because they were suddenly thinking things that they'd never thought of before. We have to find the time to have these conversations so that they have a self-awareness. Right. They're the, they're the things that life, the most important things in, in life are made of. Uh, my, my daughter came to me, she's 19 now, but she's gone through, you know, all of the coach training and has actually become certified. And she said to me, you know, it, it's amazing that these things that we're learning in coach training are really the, the, the skills, uh, the mindset, the tools that could make a difference in, in your life really truly help you have a fulfilling life and she said all of the things I learned in school most of the things that I learned in school most of the subjects won't impact my fulfillment or my happiness in any way why aren't we teaches, teaching children these things why aren't they getting the most important like how to have a healthy relationship how to be aware of your emotions and manage them in a constructive way how to deal with conflict how to create um healthy boundaries you mm -hmm. know how to ask for what you want say no to what you don't want respectfully how to create boundaries is really important because people see boundaries as oh I can't possibly have a boundary it's an act of love to have a boundary boundaries feel good right um you know the other thing is coaching leaders is really important as well somebody said to me what's the point of coaching a school leader you know how how is that going to actually impact the school the way my intention in coaching leaders is what's the impact of this going to have on your school, school community? What's the impact going to have on your staff? I think a lot of times people are a little bit like um, they're so busy and so occupied with, with getting through the day and accomplishing all their goals that sometimes they're not clear about the impact that they are having on other people. Being aware of their own purpose being aware of their values, being aware of their strengths will then lead them to understand that they are not solitary. They're part of something wider. Right. And going back to my question earlier about, you know, how do you shift into this mindset? It is a completely different way to, to behave with other people, to communicate, to perceive other people. And one of the, the things that I've discovered over time is it's just having an experience on the other side of that, like a, when a leader, a principal of a school, somebody uh, on the teaching staff experiences a coaching course, just one weekend training or even you know a full day workshop, 
very often that's all it takes is the experience of it just to, to say, oh, I, I get it. This is, you know, really truly seeing someone, really truly listening to someone, how it changes everything. And sometimes all you need is one or two people who are change makers or influencers in a school to start the ripple effect of change. Because the ripple effect is the most profound thing that can happen. Yeah. It's not just in this one-on-one -on -one conversation about how, you know, if you coach me, then I'm going to have this great self-awareness. It's how is that going to impact all the people around me? And then onwards and onwards. My philosophy in life is that the world is a troubled place and we can't fix it, but we can fix our circle. Mm. We can take care of the people around us. We can truly see them. And if everybody does that, that's how we heal, right? Right. Yeah, that's and if students do that. And, and also, you know, Samantha, yeah, I mean, if you, if you think of it like that, um, you, you never know how far out that ripple goes. You know, you talk about looking after and, and changing your immediate circle, but we really don't know how far out that circle ripples once you start doing that. Because something you said, yeah, it's like you said to me um, recently, you know, somebody came up to you and said, um, Samantha, something you said to me, you know, last year completely yeah. changed my life. And you had no idea. No idea. I gave him a compliment story. two years ago and he wrote to me to say, when you gave me that compliment, it shifted everything for me. So another thing that's really important, and this is another coaching tool, is acknowledge recognize if you have something nice to say to someone say it and if you another thing I do is if someone tells me a compliment about someone else I'm going to go and say that to them I just heard a compliment about you acknowledgement is part of that ripple and it will go a long long way yeah you know, and it's, it's, that, that's another thing you know going back to what we don't learn in school we don't learn to give compliments or receive them because there's also something about being able to take in an acknowledgement. A lot of people get very shy or uncomfortable. So we're not very good at it. And that's something that- You know what they say? They say, yes, but. Yeah. And it yeah. goes back to what you were saying. Can we change that and say, yes, and? Yes, yes. And another tool for people is, you know, what we apply often in, in a coaching relationship is the design alliance. You can design an alliance with a classroom with with you know school staff and and make up rules or co-create rules about how we say yes and instead of yes but how we make sure all voices are heard how we listen to each other sometimes it's just a 15 minute conversation where everyone aligns with how do we want to behave with one, one another that can make all the difference in the world with psychological safety and so it's like you said before it's not difficult things it's no. just things that, that don't come naturally, that we're not taught to do. And we have to change the impulse. Like you said, stop and try something new. Try something different. Um, breathing is really helpful. Stop, take a breath and ask yourself, what would the kind thing be in this moment? What is the kind thing in this moment? In that breath, in that moment, you are going to make a choice and that choice could have a huge impact and therefore a ripple effect. A lot of meetings could have just been emails. 
So what are we really going to use with our time together in meet, meeting? Let's use it to collaborate, to share good practice, to figure out what's working, to give acknowledgement to each other. And when someone shares an idea, say thank you. That's great. I'm going to try that. Be curious. How does that work? Um, you know, be meetings could be like little laboratories where everyone comes in and says, I tried this, it didn't work. Right. What do you think? This is something, this is an issue that I'm having right now. Does anyone have an idea? Meetings should be like that kind of collaboration so I that you feel that. safe yeah. to be listening. Yeah, I mean, one of the tips that we give for creating psychological, psychological safety is that leaders share their fail stories and what they learned and be the first one to share a fail story so you create permission in the room for other people to share their fail stories and what, they, what they've learned. That's so, how we become resilient, right? Yeah, so so much of this is just trying, experimenting with these new ways, with these new conversations, uh, you know, designing an alliance, creating safety, talking about how we want to give and receive feedback, sharing fail stories. The leader, that's another thing, is the teacher, the leader, they do have a little more influence and impact than the, the, than the rest of the people most of the time. And that that means that there should be more consciousness, self-awareness, awareness of impact and sense of responsibility in terms of how your, um, what your contagion is, how you're impacting the people around you. Because it's no. not the same for, for a, a student to say to a student, um, whatever a positive acknowledgement as when a teacher looks a student in the eye and says, I see this in you, mm. that, that could make, all the difference in the world, even maybe for that person's future. So I think that I, there's a, yeah. So true. I have a student who's really, really struggling. She's in her final year. And I went to the art, I went to the IB art exhibition and I had no idea that she's the most amazing artist. Mm. So as soon as I saw her afterwards, I was like, you're an incredible artist. That's your, that's your strength. That's amazing. How did she she might that? not be very good at, she was, she was so happy because I had acknowledged what she was good at rather than always harping on about the things that she wasn't good at. And, you know, it's really important to mention that teachers already have all these skills. You know, teachers are great at listening. They have awareness. They're good at critical thinking. They're good at asking why. What we need to do is we need to hone those skills. We need to really say, how can we take these skills and use them so that we're finding moments sprinkled throughout the day where we are encouraging students to learn how to become people rather than only learning how to become students. It's like, we all wanna feel a little bit less like a cog in a machine. Mm -hmm. How do we do that? Yeah, and I think one of the steps, I think you mentioned earlier, the, the metaphor of taking off the mask. Mm -hmm. I think what a teacher, allows herself to be vulnerable um, or share, you know, share a fail story or show emotion. You're leading by- Or not be scared to look silly. Or not be scared to look silly, yeah. <laughs> it's those yeah. things that can make all the difference in the world in a classroom. And, and I think, you know, one teacher at a time, um, an entire school culture can change. Absolutely. And one- staff members having a conversation with another staff member or a leader standing up 
the head of school standing up and starting their meetings in a way that congratulates, acknowledges, thanks. You know, um, it's true. I had an experience in, in Israel many, gosh, I think I was just getting started in, in facilitating coaching and leadership programs. And we did an acknowledgement line where people stood up and, and said what they, qualities about the essence of the person in front of them. And one of my participants raised her hand and said, we do this all the time. And I was in Tel Aviv, Israel. We do this all the time here, but we do it at people's funerals. <gasps> the the impact, you know, and, and people sort of laughed, but there was a kind of discomfort that hung in the room because silently we were all acknowledging, oh my God, that's true. We We don't tell people the beautiful qualities and amazing talents we see in them uh, while they're alive most of the time, because we're, we're not trained to do that. Why don't we do that? Do you think that it's an act of vulnerability? Well, I think- Be kind. I'm always curious when somebody could say something kind or could say something nice and then they choose not to. And I'm wondering, is that an act of vulnerability? I think, I think there are a lot of reasons why we don't do that. I mean, one, you may grow, a, a lot of people grow up with parents that say, oh, don't say that, it'll go to their head, or, you know, that somehow if we focus on what's brilliant, we'll give less effort and attention to what we need to get better at. And so there's a sort yes, of- mindset. Yeah, th so th there's that. I think, um, I know personally, Samantha, you know, I, because I'm so comfortable with acknowledgement. Sometimes I, I acknowledge things and people think I'm flirting with them. People think that that's too, um, it's invasive, you know? So I think there, there are a lot of things depending and also different, different countries have different culture, cultural, I guess there's a different cultural impact when it comes to acknowledgement wherever you are in the world. Um, well, a lot of British people feel that if you compliment them then you're not being sincere. Right. So I think that there, there are a lot of uh, ways we need to bust things up in different cultures so that people can hear what really feeds their soul, which is, you know, what you see in them beyond what they can do, who they are. It's about being more than doing. It is about being. And what I'm trying to do is how can we teach so that we're impacting those little souls? How can we focus on their being rather than just on their doing? doing? And that's a shift. Yeah. You know, that, 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 is a, that is a mindset shift. And how do we do that? We need to start having these conversations. We need to start having this training. Yeah. Our training shouldn't just be about how we're going to organize the timetable or how we're going to train ourselves with our subjects or curriculum. Our training has to be, how are we going to focus on the being rather than on the doing? Because the institution of education is set up to be about the doing. Right, that's a great way to sum it up. How do we have a human being focus instead of a human doing focus in education? So as we're summing it up, I have some rapid fire questions that I wanna ask you, but before I go there, Samantha, is there anything I haven't asked you um, about coaching and education or about your experience with applying this in the classroom that you wanna share? I'm just reflecting because I'm coming to the sort of, it's quite an emotional time to think about not being in the classroom anymore because 
I love being in the classroom and I love my students. I love teaching my students. What I what I don't like is getting students ready for exams. Um, and I'm I'm reflecting on some of the the wonderful moments that I've had with students. And those moments have often been not in the classroom. You know, it would be students come in at break time and they'll just sort of sit and chat. Um, people have often said, thank you so much for those conversations that we had at break or lunch. Um, thank you so much for showing an interest in my music and they'll share their Spotify playlist with me. Um, it's showing an interest outside of what they do. I'm really curious about them as individuals. You know, and if they don't want to share, that's fine, but I want them to know that I'm curious. And if, if that's one thing I'm going to take away when I look at all the piles of thank you notes that I've got over the years, it's this, it's this, you know, thank you so much for acknowledging me. Thank you so much for showing interest. Thank you for celebrating all of our achievements and making them feel like they were your own. Thank you for being so enthusiastic. Like sometimes I am an embarrassment to myself because I will go in and be so enthusiastic and there you can see their faces and they're like, he's a bit extra, but I am enthusiastic and I, I, I want to be their cheerleaders, you know? Oh, that's fantastic. And I'm proud of that. And I wouldn't change that for the world. Yeah, well, they were very lucky to have you. And I'm excited about what the future holds in terms of this new journey with coaching and education. I think you're going to continue to impact thousands of students just in a different way now. I hope so. Oh, I'm sure of it. So, so, so some of my rapid fire questions, these are more about you. Um, okay. So, and, and when I say rapid fire, that just means I'm going to, we're going to go through them really quick and you just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. What, yeah. What makes you feel inspired or like your best self? Um, anything to do with art. So taking oh, you're a photographer. Yeah, so I'm a photographer and, and it's it's the way I see the world. So like I'm on Thursday, I'm going out for a long, a long day photographing. So anything that inspires me could be some I will notice something beautiful and get curious about it. So beauty. Um, I did the via character strengths, which I think actually all students should do as well. And mine is appreciation of beauty and excellence. So that's what inspires me. Wow, that resonates. I love that. Okay, so if you could have a billboard with anything, what would it be and why? Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention to people. Look up. Pay attention to the incredible roots of that tree. Pay attention to the architecture. Pay attention to that funny shape of that cloud in the sky. Pay attention to the way that the light is rippling on the water. Pay attention. We have one life. And if you want your life to be long, and you pay attention, that's how we stretch time. Because it makes the, it makes the moments longer. So absolutely pay attention. That is a beautiful answer, Samantha. Okay, if your life were a book, what is the title of the chapter you're living right now? Transition and courage. <laughs> Transition and courage. Courage with a capital C. Yes. Okay, what is your best advice to make schools a better place if you had to sum it up in like one or two sentences? You know, it's probably the same thing. Pay attention, get creative and find the joy. 
Find the joy. Find the joy. Favorite childhood memory. You know, I lived in so many countries growing up. I, I um, it, it, it makes me dizzy when I think about how many goodbyes and hellos and views and things I've seen. But as you asked me that question, I just came up with this really funny memory. And I was probably about eight or nine years old and we were all squeezed into the back of a very small orange mini, my family and our dog, and we were going to the beach. And for all the upheaval in my life, the one thing I felt in that car was this sense of we're, we're safe and we're all together and we're going to the beach. And I don't know why that just came to me just then. Um, and I think my dog vomited, but it didn't matter. It was just like, it was just this sense of like, we're off on an adventure. Yeah. And togetherness. Yeah. Just being together and, and just being in the moment and being on an adventure. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Oh, gosh. That's such a funny question, isn't it? So interesting um, for being a wonderful mother and a great friend. A really, really good friend who remembers and for being the best mom I could ever be. What insult have you received that you're proud of? Okay, so I observed somebody saying something about me that I wasn't meant to observe. Someone was filming and she, she was looking at a picture of me and she said, oh, Samantha's always a bit front and center, isn't she? <laughs> and I was really offended. And then I realized that I'm just who I am. I'm just my, I, I don't know how to be fake. I'm just my authentic self. And if that means that sometimes I'm front and center and I'm wearing hot pink and I'm dancing, then so be it. That's just who I am. <laughs> I thought that we need more of that for students, right? In school, learning how to be uh, completely comfortable with who they are, truly. Yeah. Um, best compliment you've ever received? Oh, one of my clients said to me recently, she said, Oh, everybody needs a Sam in their life. Oh, oh, that was such a wonderful compliment because it meant that 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 person felt utterly safe in that space with me, and that she had felt the ability to take a journey and know that she was in safe hands. It was just beautiful. Um, and another thing was a parent said to me do you know that since you've been teaching my son, he comes home and he's just got all these ideas and I can just feel that his mind has expanded. Mm. And I just loved that because it means that he's, his awareness has grown. He's suddenly thinking about the world. He's not just thinking about the subject, he's thinking about ideas. And that's all I ever wanted was for someone to be able to have a, an expanded mind so that they're curious. So that was a great compliment too. Yeah, it's wonderful, Samantha. I'm so happy that you're out there in the world with this passion and that you're taking steps and um, going for it. Because when I met you, you were still very much uh, 
sort of dreaming of this and, and working up the courage. And I'm, I'm just so excited that you're out there with your conviction and your mission and your passion about and with education and coaching. You know, I really appreciate you saying that. And I think it's been a journey and I think you've been part of that journey. I think what's really important is that when you, you once said something to me, which has just become like a touchstone, you said your sense of purpose has to be greater than your doubt. And I've shared that with a lot of people. And I think that when you do have a sense of something that's really important, you have to set aside any imposter syndrome, any questions of who am I to do this? Or who's going to listen to me? That doesn't matter. Because even if you just hit one person, that's how you start the ripple, right? So yeah. that's how I'm approaching this, this next chapter. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, you know, I feel... Um so inspired by you and emotional as we're coming to a close with this interview because you have such a wonderful combination of passion and and also intelligence it's 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 this you know i know you're going to do this wherever you go you're going to impact and influence and inspire and again yes could be one person it could be thousands of people but we know about the ripple effect so even if it's one person that one person will go out and impact their life so it's just a, um, a wonderful pleasure and honor to have been a part of your journey and to to be able to share this interview with people out there who i know um, will benefit from listening to this conversation thank you um, for creating the space where people can can be part of your wisdom I really appreciate that yeah well that's what this is all about right coaching is so much about uh, co-creating and learning mm -hmm. together um, I learn from you you learn from me and yeah that's the beauty of it so what other books or resources would you recommend to listeners um, as we say goodbye this is the most wonderful book many people have read it think again by Adam Grant. It's not specifically about education, but it's about rethinking your assumptions. And I believe this is the way forward. And in fact, my husband and I have this little joke now. We'll say, if we say something, we're like, think again. Yeah, I love um, that. Yeah. I think it's the most amazing book. I think he's an incredibly wise person and um, I'm so happy he's in the world. Um, I've also, obviously I love Brene Brown's books, the new one, The Atlas of the Heart, is so wonderful for how she's managed to increase our vocabulary about um, emotions. And I also really like Susan Cain's book, Bittersweet. I felt like it really spoke to me. You know, we have to move away from this binary, happy, sad, um, good, bad. You know, bittersweet is a beautiful place to, to explore and to be empathetic from. So I, I also really liked Bittersweet. I thought that was a great book too. And you know what I'm thinking of? This is what I'm reading right now that I'm really loving. And I think we might have talked about it at some point. Did you read 101 Essays to Change the Way You Think? No. By, that's another one I highly recommend to you, for, for you and, and for listeners. Excellent. You're going to love it. Um, I believe her name is Bri Brianna Wiest. Um, okay, but it's I'm excited. Yes, with self-awareness. So, um, and, and Adam Grant, you know, one of the things that I think we really need going forward is to question everything, question how we've been doing things and how we can do them better and who we've been and who we wanna be. 
So thank you for that recommendation. And, and, and that's so, and that's what we want students to do. We don't want them to blindly follow what we're telling them. We want them to go out in the world and question and be critical because they're going to be the leaders one day. And we want them to go out there with curious, inquisitive minds. We want them to be inquirers rather than sponges that just soak up information. So yes, thank you to Adam Grant for that. Yes, Adam Grant. Shout out to Adam Grant. So mm -hmm. thank you so much for your time today. I know that people are going to love this. And yeah, and, and maybe we'll do a chapter two later on. There's so much more around education that we could talk about. So to be continued. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you. Wow, I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Samantha. I want to highlight some of the things that stand out for me. The idea of creating a yet culture from this abundant mindset that whenever somebody comes to you and feels like they're failing or they're not good enough, reminding them that they're not there yet. And not only that, but how can we help them get there? I also love that question. What do you know now that you didn't know before? We so often finish something or learn something and move on to the next thing without stopping and taking more notice of who we're becoming and what we're capable of. And the last thing I want to underline is the pause, breathe, collect ourselves when we're transitioning from one thing to the next. Again, it's about slowing down, becoming more aware of our needs, staying tuned in to the human being when we're in the middle of human doing. So thank you for being on this journey with us, for tuning into Leadership Game Changers. Join us in a couple weeks for the Spanish version. Please give us feedback. Let us know what you're enjoying, maybe some ideas of who we can interview. And don't forget to pause, breathe, and collect yourself every once in a while.